Luke was on this mission to tell the good news of who Jesus was and what God had done in and through him. And I want to submit to you as we're thinking through these four weeks of Advent um, leading up through Christmas, four big ideas, if you will, that you can kind of hold on to as we look at. And thinking back of last week, those first four verses of Luke, I would submit that Advent this time of preparing us for the arrival of the king, that Advent prepares us to listen to God. Advent prepares us to listen to God. If you remember what Luke writes at the very beginning and those first four verses, and if you would, I would encourage you to turn there with me to the Gospel of Luke. And the first four verses, we see that Luke is writing to someone by the name of Theopolis, or um, Theo, as I think, Chris, you said last week, right? Theo. And he says in verse four, I'm writing these things to you so that you would have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Having certainty of what I am saying is true about God in all of history that you can hold on to. And I want you to listen, Theo, to all that I am writing here in this gospel. I want you to take it. Listen to what has been done before in history, how God has done his mighty acts and now is going to do his mighty acts through his son, Jesus. I want you to listen well. And so I want to submit to you and encourage you, family, through this Advent season, that we would be a people that listen to the word of God that it would stir our souls to see what it is that God has done and is doing and what yet he is to do. And today as we look at another text in Luke, I want to submit to you that Advent is also a time where we prepare ourselves to trust God. Advent is a time that we prepare prepare ourselves to trust God. Let me ask you this question to see if you resonate with this. Have you ever found yourself saying this or something similar? I find it easier to believe in God than to believe God. I find it sometimes easier to believe in God, that God exists, than to actually believe God and to believe that he will do all that he says he will do. You ever been there? You ever asked that? Sometimes people say it's a crisis of faith that you find yourself in. And often, it's those circumstances in our life that are really difficult, they're puzzling, they may be impossible in your mind, and it shakes our faith. And we sit there and we wonder, God, where are you? Are you really truly who you say you are? Will you truly do all that you say you will do? And today in this story that we're going to look at, actually two different stories here, we see three characters who have a situation in their life that looks like it's impossible, it's puzzling, it's super difficult, and they are forced to make a decision. Will I believe God? Will I trust God? And Advent helps us to prepare Will we trust God in the everyday stuff of life? See, some of us are going through difficult times right now. If not, maybe that difficult time is going to come or you've been there 
And there's going to be a time where in your normal everyday stuff, you're confronted, will I trust God with this situation? Especially if it's a situation that's disappointing, troublesome, puzzling. And we want to be a people prepared to trust God no matter what happens. So as we unfold this story this morning, looking in verse 5, chapter 1, we see this human drama, this story of a couple characters that really becomes, in many ways, our story. And I want you, as we read through, we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to read through these verses, and we're going to stop, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to investigate, and I want to encourage you to use your imagination to pretend as if you were in this story. What would it look like if you were one of these characters in the situation that they find themselves in? Verse 5 of chapter 1 of Luke says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And I love what Luke does here, and I think Chris explained a little bit of that last week, is that Luke, as a historian, writing in some of the most perfect Greek As we go through this gospel throughout the year, we're going to see that Luke always roots us back into the history of what's going on within this world. And he does it with intentionality that we see here that there is a king by the name of Herod, a king that rules over the Israelites in Jerusalem. And this is a king that is wicked, oppressing people, murderous. And so in the ears of the Israelites who are hearing this story, they would know that there are people being oppressed, a people seeing murder, oppression, slavery all around them happening because of this king. But even in the midst of this, God fulfills his purposes through a man by the name of Zechariah who is a priest And uh, at this time, it says that Zechariah married to his wife named Elizabeth, that they're without child. Elizabeth is barren. And in this time, in this culture, if you were an Israelite without a child, you endured a lot of shame and scorn. In fact, a lot of Israelites thought that if you were barren, there was something sinful going on in your life. And Luke is very clear to point out that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God. That they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. There wasn't anything shameful or sinful in their lifestyle that led them to this barrenness. This was by God's design. They're going about their normal, everyday life. And verse 8 says that now while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, 
according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, kind of set this up a little bit. Zechariah, again, is this priest from, and, and about this time, what we can gather, there was about 18,000 priests within Israel. That's quite a bit. And so, Zechariah came from the eighth order that was given by King David all the way back in the Old Testament, this order of Abijah. And what would happen is that these priests, two weeks out of the year, would come from the cities or the villages that they lived, and they would come to Jerusalem, the main center of Israelite culture, where the actual temple sat in the presence of God. And so Zechariah and the other thousands of priests would come twice a year to Jerusalem to worship and to serve the temple. Now, we are told that Zechariah enters into the temple by lot, and he burns incense. This could only happen one time in a priest's life. And most priests didn't even get the opportunity to actually go into the temple of God and to offer incense on the altar. Zechariah is chosen by lot, which was a way that Israel often throughout the scriptures would try to uh, decipher what God's will was. They would throw dice and they would see what God was, at, was telling them to do. And Zechariah was chosen by lot to now enter into the temple and to burn incense while the people of God sat outside and would pray. And this would happen twice a day. Nine o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the afternoon, where people would gather at the temple and they would pray as the priests went into the temple and would offer incense. Now, why is this important? Is this just useless information that's really great? This is important because the incense that would be offered by the priests would indicate and remind Israel that they stood before God as sinful people. And in Israel's mind, every time the priests would go into the temple and they would gather outside the temple to pray, they were reminded of the longing for a savior. Someone that would come and eventually wipe away all that is wrong, not only in their life, but all that is wrong in the world. And so at this time, Zechariah goes into the temple and he offers incense on the altar and verse 11 says, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Significant that Luke says that the angel is standing on the right side of the altar, which indicates power and might. And the angel, as he stands there, appears to him, and Zechariah was troubled, verse 12 when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. How would you feel? You see an angel. Fear. And as you see these stories throughout Scripture, anytime somebody encounters an angel, there is fear. There's awe. But the angel says to him in verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah. 
For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. I love that. Here's why I love this and why this stood out to me this week. You're barren, you and your wife. You've been praying for years that God would bless you. And the angel appears before Zechariah and says, your prayer has been heard. What glorious news to the ears of Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your barren wife will have a son. And you shall call his name John, which means God is gracious. And you will have joy and gladness. And many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them, before him, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. See, what Luke is doing is not really telling us a new story as much as he's telling us a story that has been going on since the very beginning of creation. See, this story is not so much about Zechariah and Elizabeth and even their son John as it is about God. And Zechariah, as a priest, would have known that his encounter with this angel was reflective of older stories that many would have heard. The story of Abraham and his wife Sarah, who were barren, who God came to an old age and said, you will have a son, Abraham, and through you, many nations will be blessed. Zechariah would have known that now his encounter was similar to the story that we find in the scriptures of Rachel and her husband Jacob, who we know was, had his name changed to Israel, and the two sons that were bared to him. The story of Hannah, who was barren, and her son Samuel. The story of Samson. All of those stories showing us that God works in impossible ways to bring about his purpose. And Zechariah would have known now, as the angel says, that you will have a son, John. And through him, God is going to bring the word of God to a people who will be prepared for the coming Messiah. This is good news. This is amazing news. And you're thinking, if I were Zachariah, number one, I'm ecstatic because God's heard my prayer. We're going to have a kid. And not only are we going to have a kid, but this son is going to herald the good news of the coming king that God has promised through the prophets for centuries before. This is amazing. 
God, I'm gonna trust you. The work of John, look what Luke tells us. Verse 16 again, that John will turn, or through John, he was going to herald, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This idea is he's going to proclaim the good news so people repent and they turn back to God. And he will go before him, which is the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah, just as God promised in the prophets of old. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Already this is talking about reconciliation. In this culture, children were, were despised. And fathers were very violent. And even now, the angel is saying, through his ministry, there will be reconciliation. And the disobedient will turn to the wisdom of the righteous or the just. So that God's people are prepared. Advent prepares us to trust in this God who fulfills his plans and does all that he pleases. See, this is a story about God. Not so much about Zechariah, not so much about John, not so much about Elizabeth that we'll see here in a second. This is God's story. Working through normal people in the everyday stuff of life. How would you respond if you were Zechariah to this news? Would you embrace it fully with joy? Look at Zechariah's response. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. See, we can just read through that quickly and lose the weight of what Zechariah is really saying. And basically what he's saying here, to put it more in layman's terms, is really, are you serious? How is this possible? Where's the proof? It's a spirit of unbelief in which Zechariah asks this question of the angel. How will I know this? I'm old. And don't you want to yell at Zechariah and say, you know the stories. You know the stories of the ancients. You've seen how God has worked through the barren and the old, through Abraham and Sarah. You're a priest. You're teaching the people the word of God. Don't you know this, Zechariah? And in unbelief, he's wanting proof. He's wanting a sign. God, is what you're really saying true? Are you like that? Have you ever been there? You know the stories. You've seen God show up in your life, in the lives of others. You've read the word. You know the promises. And when something in your life happens as difficult as it is, as puzzling as it is, as maybe impossible as it seems, you say, I don't know that I believe it. God, I want proof. Like you haven't done enough. 
I've been there lately. God, why would you allow this situation to change in my life? I know that you're faithful. I've seen your faithfulness, but now I'm doubting you really are who you say you are. The angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears before Zechariah and says, the promises of God that have been heralded are now going to come true. And Zechariah goes, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I want a sign. I think I'm more like Zechariah than I admit often. And so, Zechariah gets the sign he's looking for, for the proof that he wants. Is this really true? The angel, verse 19, answers him and says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah gets his sign, but it's in the form of punishment. And so now for the next nine months, Zechariah will be able to say nothing. It's almost as God is saying, you know what? You're going to take some time and you're going to listen really, really well to me. Advent prepares us to listen. In fact, we almost, if we jump over to verse 60, jumping way ahead, almost indicates, I didn't really know this until I digged into this text this week, but that he had to motion to people and that people had to motion also to Zechariah. Not only was he mute, he probably was deaf as well. Not only could he not speak, he probably couldn't hear. And the angel is saying, this is going to be your punishment. Here's your sign, but I'm still going to fulfill my word. And so Zechariah challenges us with this idea of will we trust God in his word? Are we going to trust who God is and all that he has done? Because guys, there's consequences for unbelief. There's consequences for not trusting God. But the beauty in this passage that I see is that even in his grace, God still uses Zechariah, and we're going to see this in weeks to come, that even though Zechariah fails to trust God in this moment, God still uses him. God still will, by his grace, fulfill his purpose and mission through Zechariah, even in his unbelief. You know why that's good news? It's because I'm a man of unbelief, constantly doubting whether or not God is who he says he is. I'm doubting whether or not God will actually fulfill what he's promised to fulfill in my life. I've been doubting how God is working in my life now. I'm fearful, family. 
I've shared a little bit of that story of fear and this new job that I have that has brought up just fear from the past and doubting that God's words that says in Isaiah, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I've been doubting that. I want to trust God at his word. I want to trust God. And by his grace, God is still using me despite my unbelief. I don't want to be mute. I don't want to suffer the consequences of unbelief. And so I pray, God, help me with my unbelief. Verse 21, people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple because what would happen is after the priests would give incense, they would come out and they would bless the people. And they would say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That was the habit of the priest when they got done. And now he comes out. And what a comical situation here that we see. People were waiting for them. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. How would you tell people you had just seen an angel if you couldn't speak? Kind of comical. People knew he had seen an angel. This had happened in the past. People knew the scriptures. And now, when his time of service was done, those two weeks was up, Zechariah goes home. Imagine how that conversation went with his wife. Not much of a conversation. Maybe he's writing on a papyrus, here's this angel, here's the halo, here's the wings, I don't know. But somehow, Elizabeth gets it. And after these days, verse 24, Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. We don't know why. Perhaps because of the scorn and the shame in that culture of being barren as an older woman. Perhaps. But look at Elizabeth's response. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And this idea, I like the way the NIV says it much better than the ESV here is that she's saying, the Lord has looked with me with favor. And he has taken away my reproach, my shame, my scorn. We get the idea that Elizabeth is believing God. She's not acting towards God in any bitterness. She's been barren her entire life. And yet she embraces the word of God. She trusts God and it's a response of praise. She knows that there's no way that her having a child is going to be 
by the power of herself or her husband that this has to be the work of God. It's miraculous. It can only come from his hand. And there's sometimes in our life where God delays what he's doing in our life so that we come to the end of ourselves and we say, you're the only one that can do this. You're the only one, God, that can show up in this puzzling, difficult, impossible situation. Shows, you show up super late in the game, God, but you bring the victory if we would just patiently wait for you. That's hard to do. It's difficult to do. And God is saying, do you trust me even when you can't make sense of it? Is there anything in your life that you just don't understand why God is doing what he's doing? Why have you allowed me to go through this? Why have you allowed me, God, to experience this? Do you trust him? And will that trust turn into praise? Some of these verses that have been so good for me, especially of late, I just want to share with you about waiting patiently for God. Psalm 27, 13 and 14 David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Are you fearful this morning? Are you struggling to be patient for God's timing in your life? Do you believe that you will see the goodness of God's hand in and through you in the land of the living, even now? Lamentations 3, 24 through 26 says, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The salvation here is the unfolding of everything that God is in Jesus Christ for you even now. And the author of Lamentations says that God is my portion. Even if this circumstance in my life never pans out the way I want, God, you're enough. You're my portion. You're my trust. And we get this idea that even Elizabeth, even if God had not given her John, that she would have trusted in God to be enough. Do you? If you never get that job change, if you never have that relationship reconciled, whatever it is that you think is baffling, puzzling, impossible in your life, will God regardless of how he acts in you, will he be your portion? You're everything. When we wait patiently, 
it's so often that we see that God gives us more than we ever even expected. Elizabeth and Zechariah wanted a son. They get a prophet who will herald the good news of the king of the world. And Luke continues, and he says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, the same Gabriel to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Why is that important? Because this little city of Nazareth was totally insignificant. No one wanted to go there. Some in our day would say, that's the ghetto. Nothing of importance actually happens in Nazareth. So why would the angel go here? Makes no sense. Isn't God going to come with pomp and circumstance and be ushered into the city of Jerusalem and overthrow Rome? That's what Israel thought. That's the kind of king they were looking for. But, is, but Gabriel goes to this tiny little village of Nazareth, and he goes to a virgin, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed, pledged to be married to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, there's a lot here, super significant, that we just can't even get into. But the idea, why was it important that Luke tells us that Joseph was from the line of David? Why is that important? God, yeah, say it. Yeah. The prophets promised that through the line of David, the king of the world, the son of God would come. And Luke is setting up for us and saying that God's promises and his purposes are being fulfilled to a virgin named Mary, who probably at this time, guys, was 12 years old. Anywhere between 12 and 13 and a half, a young Israelite girl would be pledged to be married. And Gabriel came to Mary and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. A more accurate translation would be, Rejoice, Mary. You are favored. God is with you. And Mary, she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what kind of greeting this would be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you, and he will be called, or, and, he shall, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You're 12 years old. You're going about your normal everyday life. An angel appears to you, and you freak out. Very similar to what Zechariah did as well. And we would look and say, well, Mary's asking kind of a similar question as Zechariah, except her 
question is, Gabriel isn't one of unbelief. It's one of, can you explain how I, as a 12-year-old virgin, will have a child? And Gabriel unfolds to her exactly how this will happen. You will conceive in your womb. And she says, how will it be? I'm a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit, Mary, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The one that the prophets promised would come to set all that is wrong in the world to be right is going to now come to Mary, through Mary. 12 years of age. And what do we know about this son? The one who is, we'll find out later, is called the Prince of Peace the one who is the son of the most high and the son of God, which Luke will unfold more what those titles mean throughout his gospel and as we go through this. But he takes little steps unfolding who Jesus is in a way that people would understand. And here's the catch, that Jesus will be the Messiah King. overpowering the King Herod that he introduced us to back in verse five. He will be more powerful than Caesar, who is ruling at Rome at this time. He will not only be the king over Israel, he will be the king over the whole world. This is a king you can trust. This is the king of the world. And I doubt him so often in my life. I was in the car with my six-year-old daughter this week, and one of her favorite songs has now become one of my favorite songs as I was listening this week. And it's an artist by the name of Natalie Grant. And I can't sing it for you. I'm not even gonna try. But the chorus is, when did I forget that you have always been the king of the world? And I fail to trust the king of the world with my life so many times. What does Mary do in response to this? The angel continues and encourages her and says, behold your relative Elizabeth at her old age, even she has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't understand it. It's baffling. If you're Mary, you're going to have a kid outside of being married. You could be stoned to death for that. And she says, I'm going to trust you, God. I am your servant. I believe your word. And not only do I believe your word, I'm going to be used by you in whatever way you want. I'm trusting you. 
Advent prepares us to be a people prepared, a people who trust God no matter what. Your story is God's story. It's about God. And even for those of us who wrestle with unbelief, even though we doubt that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he's going to do, there's still grace in that. That God says, I am the king of the world. Come, find forgiveness for your unbelief and I will empower you with the Holy Spirit to believe. Is there any area of your life right now where you are not believing and trusting God to work his perfect purposes? Is there a relationship that you think there's no way God could ever reconcile or restore? What is that? We serve a God who makes possible what seems impossible. And he will fulfill his plans and his purposes so that we see the son of the most high. So that we embrace the king of the world who came to not only forgive us for our sins, but to give us new life even now. To conquer our unbelief. To conquer our doubt. To see reconciliation and restoration even take place now. This is good news. Do we believe that? May he give us hearts to trust him. Let's pray. Father, we need your power through your spirit to make us a people who trust you no matter what. Father, in this season of Advent, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to trust you with everything in our life, from finances to relationships to job to barrenness, whatever it may be that we are trusting that, God, you call your people to be prepared to embrace fully that Jesus is our portion and we trust you. Will you conquer our unbelief, oh God? In the name of Jesus we ask, amen.